Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Even though thousands of soldiers may fight in a war, few become household names like George S. Patton, Ulysses S. Grant, or Robert E. Lee. But one man was so beloved by his country that when he died, all efforts were exhausted to preserve his body. And in the process, they also made a pretty gross cocktail out of him. Horatio Nelson was born in England in 1758 to a well-to-do family. He joined his uncle, a Royal Navy captain, on January 1st of 1771, aboard the HMS Reasonable as a seaman. He was only 13 at the time. After serving aboard several ships in the East and West Indies for the next six years, Nelson returned to London for his lieutenant's exam, which was presided over by two Navy captains and his uncle. It's safe to say that he passed and was almost immediately appointed to a ship bound for the Caribbean. Throughout his career, he commanded a number of vessels and continued to fight for his country. He may have been the poster child for nepotism, but he made the most of that privilege. And it earned him a great amount of acclaim and admiration from his fellow Britons. He was a strong leader who tried not to let politics influence his decisions. So when he was killed by a musket ball in October of 1805, his death was mourned all over England. He'd been shot while standing on the deck of his ship, the HMS Victory, at the Battle of Trafalgar. He'd been shot through his left shoulder and spine, the musket ball had also punctured one of his lungs as it traveled through his body. He died from his injuries three hours later. Word of his death made its way back home in 16 days, which sent the country into an emotional tailspin. People wrote so many poems and letters to newspapers expressing their grief that the press had to issue statements asking them to stop. But there was a greater problem than the abundance of odes. Vice Admiral Nelson's body still had to travel back to England, and it was rotting. It was brought to the ship's surgeon, William Beatty, who believed that he could help. Beatty was something of an anomaly among surgeons at the time. Surgery was not the respected profession it is today. If someone needed a limb amputated, they had about 30% chance of surviving the procedure. And if they needed a new organ, well, that was the end of them. But Beatty was different. During the Battle of Trafalgar, where Nelson was killed, he treated 102 injured soldiers, 96 survived thanks to his efforts. Unfortunately, by the time Nelson made it to his table, the vice admiral was already gone, which left Beatty with the job of preserving his corpse for transport. Common practice dictated that Nelson be submerged in Navy rum. The alcohol would keep him fresh-ish until he could be properly interred. But the surgeon chose to go another way. Rather than use rum, he opted for something a little stronger, namely ethanol and brandy. 
It was a daring choice, but one that was made while the ship was struggling to stay afloat. The victory had taken serious damage during the battle, and the goal was to get Nelson home in one piece, uh, more or less. The brandy-ethanol combination was of a higher proof than the rum, and Beatty believed that it would better preserve the corpse. Nelson was quickly placed in a cask of the mixture as the ship began its arduous journey home. The thing about brandy, though, is that it doesn't make a great embalming fluid. After two weeks at sea, the cask erupted, its lid blown off due to the gas building up inside. It was so shocking that a watchman tasked with standing guard over Nelson's body thought the vice admiral had come back to life and had pushed the cask open from the inside. The victory eventually arrived back in England to throngs of people, all hoping to catch a glimpse of their beloved hero. But he wasn't exactly ready for his close-up. For one, Beatty still needed to conduct an autopsy. What was left of Nelson was then wrapped in linen and removed from the cask, so the surgeon could locate the bullet that had killed him. From there, the remains were moved into a lead coffin, which was also filled with a concoction made of brandy, myrrh, and camphor for further preservation. There was concern that Nelson's skin might slough off like a loose sweater when moved one last time, but luckily his corpse retained its composure and was placed in a wooden coffin, its final resting place. The funeral was held on January 9th of 1806 at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was a spectacle, too, totaling $1.2 million by today's standards, and the ordeal left a lasting legacy on British culture, specifically its drinking culture. Folks started calling Navy rum Nelson's blood, and if someone stole liquor straight from the cask, they referred to it as tapping the admiral. As for Beatty, he was given the musket ball as a gift. He turned it into a watch fob, which he carried in his pocket for the remainder of his life. Beatty died in 1842, and the ball was then passed on to another high-ranking official, Queen Victoria. It's been a showpiece at Windsor Castle ever since. But although it was an impressive artifact from the Battle of Trafalgar, it pales in comparison to the story of how Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson was pickled and brought home after his death. A curiosity, indeed. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. 
Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. When we're young, many of us think our parents are superheroes, invincible and constant, like they'll be here forever. It's hard to imagine a world without them in it. Unfortunately, not everyone is so lucky. Our parents are not bulletproof or invulnerable, and before long, we must confront their mortality head on. In 1880, the Lang children didn't have a chance to say goodbye to their father. They had no reason to think anything would happen to him. But on one afternoon, they witnessed the unthinkable and couldn't explain how it had happened. David Lang was a farmer in Gallatin, Texas. He was a humble man living a modest life with his wife and children, just trying to get by. It was a sunny September 23rd, and David was walking through his fields, taking care of the day's work. These fields were fairly flat, with no obstructions or plant life to get in his way. He wasn't behind a fence, and there wasn't a single tree anywhere in sight. Mrs. Lang and the kids were back at the house, watching him move across the property. As they sat inside, observing his movements, they suddenly realized that he wasn't there. Literally in the blink of an eye, David had simply disappeared. Their first thought was that he had tripped and fallen, maybe down a sinkhole or other open cavity. But as they ran toward where he was last seen, they realized there was no hole to be found. He was just gone. Others who had heard the commotion came to help Mrs. Lang, who was beside herself with fear and grief at the disappearance of her husband. They helped her back to the house while her neighbors formed a search party. After some time, though, it was clear that David was nowhere to be found. Such an event would be enough to traumatize anyone, but David's children never gave up hope. They knew their father was still out there somewhere, and so one year later, their daughter returned to the field where he had disappeared. Perhaps there was a clue or a remnant from that day that might indicate where he had gone. As she stood there, looking out on the vast expanse before her, she called out to him. She shouted for him several times, but heard nothing in return. It was a silly thing to think that someone who had up and vanished would just reappear out of nowhere. And so she began her trek back to the house. Perhaps she had been distraught, or the wind had hit her ear in a certain way. But as she was turning away from the field, she heard her father's voice, and he was in distress. She ran back to the house and fetched her mother, bringing her back to the field with her. She called out again. Her father's voice let out another cry for help. The next day, they heard it yet again. It lingered for almost a week until it just disappeared, just as Lang had done one year prior. Those who were familiar with the story claim that the grass where Lang was last seen grew better than anywhere else on the farm and that his cattle wouldn't eat there. Others said that the spot was barren, with the grass only growing around it. Maybe a beam of light or energy had carried him off into another dimension or a plane of existence. Whatever the case, there was something about that part of the farm that drew inquiry from the family and neighbors. Or did it? After the tale had been reported a number of times over the years, researchers looked into it. A Tennessee librarian in the 1970s claimed it had come from a hoaxer 
named Joseph Mulhattan. Mulhattan had lived in Tennessee in 1880 and had invented the story to win a lying contest, although there was no evidence of that having ever happened either. Some attribute David Lang's disappearance to student Palmer, a mystery writer who wrote his own version of the story in 1953. Palmer's narrative was published in Fate magazine and was believed to be the first account, or at least among the earliest. When asked about its origins, Palmer said the story was not his. Sarah Lang, David's real-life daughter, had told it to him. He had simply written the account down for the magazine. But experts believe that Lang had actually borrowed the idea from author Ambrose Bierce, who had published a similar tale in 1888 titled The Difficulty of Crossing a Field. It was about a plantation owner who disappeared under similar circumstances. But when she was challenged, Sarah Lang said that Bierce was actually the story thief and not her. Ever since then, it's been a case of he said, she said. And despite the lack of proof that anyone named Lang was living in Gallatin, Tennessee in 1880, David's story has persisted to this day. But hey, if you want to see it for yourself, you can always try to catch a production of the 2002 stage adaptation of Bierce's tale. It too is called The Difficulty of Crossing a Field, with music written by a composer named David Lang. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.